Thank you for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. Our hope is to inspire, refresh, and encourage you to be lights in a dark world. This week, we start a series called Escape, Not Giving Into Temptation. If you do find this message inspiring or motivational, please follow Pastor Cedric or Commitment Church on Facebook and Instagram. Download our podcast on Anchor.fm, Pandora, Google Podcasts, and other platforms. Now, here's Pastor Cedric. Uh, welcome to those who are watching online and, of course, those who have physically come. And thank you for braving the elements as well um, uh, today. And just for the record, if you didn't know, we actually relaunched our Hits Kids uh, ministry. Um, so it is, I said hi to the kids and parents before I left to come downstairs at 9 o'clock in the 11. So it was cool to see them all gather around and, and, and trying their best to learn. So continue to pray for the teachers and the ministry and that God will help them and that God will provide other teachers and other resources that we need to continue to accommodate our parents, both virtually and even, uh, it's kind of virtual and in-person virtual, you know, because we have some kids who went up right sta- upstairs to, to be upstairs to look at the virtual teachers, which is pretty cool. So there's a lot of stuff we're building from, from there and being creative as possible. Uh, again, we started a new series and it is called Escaped. And uh, I put the ED at the end of it purposely because, again, because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, um, the work is complete, right? And because the work is complete, our, our uh, ability to escape temptation is also complete. And uh, as I mentioned earlier today, if I can be candid and honest with you, is that as a, as a leader, as someone who's been walking with the Lord for many years, I too still have to work through personal temptations. And many times uh, there's this nuance or this thought that leaders and Christian leaders don't necessarily be tempted. Well, their history shows that we are, right? Because many succumb to many temptations. But also that the fact is that the enemy wants to create more temptations for us. So that if he can uh, destroy us, he can destroy a lot of other people. Make sense? So that being said, here's the deal. We all need to know that we can all succumb to our temptations. We all will be tempted and we can succumb to them. All we need is this. We, all we need is the right soil and the right seed and the right season to ultimately fall short of the glory of God. All you need is the right temperature for something to grow in your heart and that can ultimately draw you away from Christ. So therefore there's a responsibility that we have is to be aware that we can be tempted, right? And that there, there is uh, temptations that are common to man, we're going to read. And, but yet God ultimately gives us a, an escape route to be able to get out of it or even avoid it before we even get in it. Make sense? So that being said, I have a few slides that I want to use to lay the setting. So here's our, our purpose. Our purpose is to encourage the body of Christ to not give in to their temptations, but, but what? Rather use the room for escape that God always provides. God always provides room for escape. No matter how it feels, no matter what you think, no matter what it appears, God always is providing room for escape. So our key verse is this, is in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. It is that no temptation has overtaken you except something common to mankind, and God is faithful. God is faithful, church. Right, So he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, 
but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. So here, here's the twofold application there is that God will always provide for escape. But let's be honest, there are times we don't respond to the escape. Then we find ourselves in the midst of it, right? But the, the wonderful additional promise, if you will, you find in this verse is that he will also give you what is necessary to endure it. You don't avoid it. You find yourself in it. While you're in it, he gives you his greater grace to allow you to, to do what? Endure it. Right, next slide. Here's the stage. The book of 1 Corinthians was, was written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Corinth. Four years, it says, after his eight, 18 month visit there. It is uh, named his first letter, but some theologians says this, is that it was actually the second known letter that he wrote, but uh, in our context, uh, what was canonized was that the it is the first of the two inspired uh, uh, books uh, and letters that God had Paul write addressed to this particular church at Corinth. So uh, the problem, here's the problem threefold that you find in, at Corinth, that you find in any church, honestly, is that the, the potential of division, disorder, and difficulties Division, disorder, and difficulties, which leads to a dysfunctional family. Chapter 10 is directed to help us avoid Israel's mistakes while in the wilderness. So there are some things that is laid before us in chapter 10 that the Apostle Paul says, hey, these things happened so you too can do what? Avoid the mistakes that Israel found himself, themselves in while in the wilderness. So as always, I always try to encourage us that we have to find the Christ in every book that we read throughout the scriptures. So Christ is the source of unity against the division, stability against the disorder, and victory in the midst of difficult times. Victory not only on earth, but also where? In heaven, because he is Lord over what? Heaven and over what? Earth, amen? So those things that are seen and even those things that are unseen, Christ allows you and I to live victoriously over them no matter what they may be. So three questions we're gonna answer in the midst of this series. How do we recognize, tempt recognize temptation? From the garden to Jesus and to us. The second question would be, how do we resist temptation? And we're going to uh, look at Psalm 1, and we're going to be talking about do not walk, do not stand, do not stick to avoid uh, and resist temptation. How do we escape temptation? We, then we're going to return back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and deal with, again, how God always provides this room for escape for each one of us, right? So some things to note here is this, is that in part one, when we answer the question, how do we uh, recognize temptation? Uh, again, we're going to look at the introductory verse. We're going to leave that particular passage. And we're going to land on today, First uh, John chapter 2, verses uh, 12 through 17. Even though it says 12 through 16 on, there, on the slide. But then next week, uh, my wife Lisa, some of you know, always joins me during Valentine's Day. And we uh, do a joint message and she always outshines me bottom line is she's a really good teacher communicator and fun to listen to so we're going to go in and dive into Matthew chapter 19 verses 1 through 12 and again answer the question how do we recognize temptation in the context of marriage and then part two again how do we uh, answer the question how do we resist temptation 
And we'll settle in Psalm 1, as I mentioned to you about not uh, standing, not walking, not standing, not sitting in a seat of the, uh, of the ungodly. And then part three, uh, we will return back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where we'll finish things up. We're beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, and we'll go back to it and we'll land here to get real clarity as it relates to how do we ultimately escape temptation. Amen? Now, Here's your challenge. Your challenge is to read through the entire book of 1 Corinthians, right? Uh, Take time, take your time, journey through it. It's a fascinating book. Matter of fact, it's it's better than any uh, nighttime series because there's a lot of chaos going on in 1 Corinthians and and you will enjoy it. It'll keep you on the edge of your seat, all right? And then uh, today, again, how do we recognize temptation? From the garden, right? Adam and Eve, uh, to Jesus when he was tempted in the wilderness, and then thirdly, us. How do we, how do we recognize temptation? Uh, and, and threefold, lust of the flesh, we're going to talk about, lust of the eyes, and also, lastly, the boastful pride of life. So open your Bibles with me, please, to uh, the book of 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, we're going to read verses 12 through 17, and then really stay in verse 16, and we have some peripheral verses that we're going to investigate as well. Verse 12 says this, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins have been forgiven you for his name's sake. Again, little children, you can contextualize this as saying those new believers, believers, if you're new in your faith, little children, it says, I am writing to you fathers, those of us who've who deemed to be more mature in the faith, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, if you would, the adolescents of of the faith, because you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the Father. Verse 14, I have written to you, fathers, because you know the Father who has been from the beginning. I've written to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Verse 15, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, verse 16, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 17, lastly, is this. The world is passing away, and all is lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. How do we recognize temptation? Again, it manifests in three ways, if you would. Lust of the flesh, lust of our eyes, and the boastful pride of life. So let's take a deeper look at this manifestation so we can better recognize when and how we're tempted. Verse 16, again, the lust of the flesh. Two key words. The word lust means this. Strong desire, craving, longing for what is forbidden. Isn't that like us? That we somehow inherently long for what is forbidden. For instance, you're diagnosed with uh, high blood pressure but you long for a bunch of salt, right? You long for, you, you, you're diagnosed with diabetes, but you just can't stop eating sugar, right? Adding more and more sugar in your coffee, more and more sugar in your coffee, even though you know it is slowly 
eroding your body and killing you over time. There's just something inherently wants more of those things that ultimately is going to do what? Destroy us, right? So again, it is forbidden. Then the, the word flesh means this, the sensuous nature of man, the animal nature. In other words, that out of control part of us, that thing that we just can't tame. We can't tame it. It says the earthly nature apart from the divine influence and therefore prone to sin and be opposed to God. So that part of our, our nature is like, why do we always find ourselves conflicted with God? That is the flesh. That is that part of us that simply want to do our own thing, however we want to do it, and we want to fuel it. We just want to fuel it over and over and over again, sometimes uncontrollably, sometimes even unknowingly. We just fuel this part of ourselves that ultimately has to be tamed by God and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's Eve's temptation. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. You find actually all three of her temptations there. But here's the first. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6a is this. Her lust of the flesh is, it says this. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food. So here you have, listen, God gave Adam and Eve access to this huge playground called the Garden of Eden. And all he says was, you can't play on that jungle gym. You know, you can't, you can't swing on that swing. And she just, they just had to have that part of the playground, right? It's kind of like a parent who says, son, just don't touch that. You know, I've given you, I've given you four cookies already. Please don't put your hand back in a cookie jar. Inevitably, what's going to happen? You turn your back and they're going to find themselves with their hands stuck in a cookie jar. No different than Adam and Eve. I tell you, do not touch the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Papa said, don't touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but inherently there's something in us that flesh longs to touch what we say do not what? Touch. It's kind of like a sign, right? That you see a big sign says do not enter. <laughs> what normally happens? I know I do it. I still peek my head around a corner and try to enter. All right, here's a good one. It's a good one is this. All right, you, you see, you come up to your neighbor's house and you say, beware of dog. What normally happens? Somebody inevitably is going to try to look for the dog or call the dog to the fence. Come here, come here, doggy, doggy. Trying to see how big the dog is, right? And we do that over and over again is that we'll stick our heads and hands into something that ultimately we should not. And, and God gives us so many other privileges in life. But the one he says stay away from is the one we long to have. Lust of the flesh. But here's Jesus' temptation in Matthew chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, his lust of the flesh. It says, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. Right? Then Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by what? Bread alone. That what feeds the physical flesh. But on every word that does what? Proceeds out of the mouth of God. So Jesus put him in his place and said, this is written. No, we shouldn't live by bread alone. We shouldn't just only tend to what? This flesh. Even though I'm sure he was hungry, I'm sure his stomach was growling like any human being. He was hungry because he was in the midst of fasting for, for a long period of time. And therefore, here's the tempter tempting him with the very thing that he needs, or at least in his mind, his flesh craved for but this is how we normally deal with it. 
You see, at any juncture in our lives, here's the challenge, is that we will be people that have one le once lived in lust. So if you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, chances are there's a chunk of what you used to do you don't do anymore. And let's say you've been walking with the Lord for about five years now. There's probably more of a little chunk of things that you, you used to do that you don't do anymore, right? And, and so on and so forth. The longer, hopefully, you live with Christ, there's this progressive sanctification that you are sinning less and less and less. There's less lusting of the flesh the longer you live in Christ, right? So there's this former lust that we have lived in. And that's why Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says this, among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh, and listen to what it says, and of the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath. In other words, we are just inherently bad people. It says, even as the rest. So like those other people that we were. You see, we will always be enticed by lust. And we must know this, that we will be enticed by lust. And that's why James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15 says this to you and I. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Not anyone else's lust, but your own lust. You're enticed by your own lust and can be carried away by it. Verse 15 says this, then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it gives birth to what? Death. Death in your life, death chances are in everybody's life around you because that's what sin does. It not only infects you, but infects everyone around you, including within the body of Christ. Now here's another challenge. The challenge is this, is that even though we know there's this waging war on the inside with our flesh and our soul, we can't become men and women who simply just succumb to it and conform to it. And that's why 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 14 says this, as obedient children, men and women that must be obedient to God, it says, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours, guess what it says, in your ignorance, to him who knows the right thing to do. It's for you and me who knows it's sin. You see, again, progressive revelation God gives all of us. When you come to know Christ, it seems like we all inherit through the spirit of God who is immediately uh, implanted within us. We have this God consciousness that occurs immediately. Things that you used to do, it's like mm, something in me says that's wrong. Can't find chapter and verse. I don't know enough Bible, but something in me says wrong, right. Right? We all go through that cycle, but then after a while, you start reading the Word of God. You start gaining more, more awareness of what the Word of God says to do. Right? So our challenge is this, is that progressively, as you gain more and more revelation, more and more knowledge of the Word, you are less and less ignorant. Less and less, less ignorant, more and more accountable. Right, think about this. As a parent, you, you dare not ask a two-year-old to do something a preteen can only do. You don't ask a preteen to do something that an older teenager will do. You don't ask a teenager to do something that you know an adult will do, right? Because teenagers are trying to figure themselves out. 
I feel like an adult, I think like an adult, but I still have childish ways. So you, you, can't, you can't raise the bar on someone that ultimately the bar is unattainable. So the same is true here. Our challenge is to realize that no, that this is the way we used to act and we, chances are, and hopefully we acted this way out of what? Ignorance. So don't go back there and what? Act ignorant. Grow in your faith. Now here's the challenge in all of this. There will always be this war for your soul. Always be this tug of war for your soul. Always be this tug of war for your soul. So this outer man must decay, will decay, the word says, but the inward man must be what? Renewed day by day. And that's why 1 Peter 2.11 says this, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers, we're not of this world. We're not of this world. It says to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against your soul against your soul it's a battle for your soul do you realize that it's not a battle for stuff it's not a battle for possessions it's a battle for your soul that may manifest through personal problems you follow me but at the end of the day the enemy wants your soul and he will be as creative as possible to navigate through your life to get to your soul. And you have to be aware of that. And that's why, here's the deal, Romans chapter 13, verse 14 says, we then must understand this and then put on Jesus. It says, it says but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make, listen, underline this, it says, and make no provisions, make no provisions for the flesh in regards to his lust. Now this is sticky and this is how and why it's sticky. You see, in the, in the body of Christ, we've coined something like this. And there's nothing in the Bible that references this. Christian liberty. In other words, provisions for the flesh. <laughs> That's all Christian liberty is. Do you realize that? It's provision for the flesh. It simply says, you know what? My flesh still wants, still wants to do that. And I'm biblically astute to know that it's not going to send me to hell. Provision for the flesh. That's all it is. Is that I think I can, I, well, I know theologically proper, I can continue to act this way, do this, participate in this, and not go to hell. Provision for your flesh. But here's the challenge. The challenge is this. When you continue to provide for your flesh, your flesh begins to continue to grow stronger, stronger, and stronger, and overpowers your soul. And before you know, your soul is on deplete. It's on E. And you wonder why you're still struggling. And here's the great deception. The great deception is the enemy will trick you and I to think this. Well, I can put my problems in silos. This one thing I'm praying and ask God to help me in and heal. God, heal me. Heal my marriage. God, set me free here. But all alone, the, you know, Satan is playing shell games with you because you think that you can have provisions for your flesh over here and then ask God to heal you here. Doesn't work that way. 
Let me give you an example. So, see, a young man can say, all right, well, you know, God has given me Christian liberty, and which simply says, again, I'm making provision for my flesh, and all I want to do is just have some casual drinking. I'm going to chill. You know, I'm just winding down during the day, and, you know, I'm not drinking to get drunk. And, again, a caveat to that is I've never seen anyone accomplish that. Physiologically, you can't drink and not get drunk and be altered. You just can't do that, logically. And inevitably, what you'll find is single man or woman, before you know it, what alcohol does is causes you to be discombobulated and causes promiscuity. Inevitably, that's what it does. It creates a arousal. It lowers guards, creates an arousal. And lo and behold, guess what you do? You'll find yourself over in your back room watching a movie, watching stuff you shouldn't do. And before you know it, you're into pornography and you're doing this and you're having premarital sex, X, Y, Z. And you wonder why you struggle with pornography. You wonder why you struggle, you struggle with sexual purity. You wonder why every man who knocks on your door, you simply say, okay, come on in. You see, the strong man comes back to your house, see it swept clean comes back seven times stronger. In other words, you can say it this way. When he comes to your house, Christian, he's not coming for one room. He's coming to conquer the entire house. It's the greatest deception in the body of Christ. So we just continue to make provisions for our flesh. We, some people ask me, say, well, pastor, do you dance? I say, no. You know why? Because it makes provision for my flesh. You know what it does to me? To me, not saying you, but you know what it does to me? It takes me back to where I lusted. I was deceiving. I was manipulative. Why do I want to make provisions for my flesh? I don't care about yours. I'm sinful enough. So that's why everybody has to categorically say, you know, I probably need to close that window, those shades, those blinds. Matter of fact, I need to close the vents and everything else that Satan could come in and find his way to ultimately continue to rattle me and distort me and cause me to continue to lust in the way that I used to lust before I was even delivered by Jesus. But here's the warning if you don't put on Jesus and you continue to provide for the flesh. Think about this. When you make provisions for something, you're keeping it alive. Right? Think about this. You go on a camping trip. What is the first thing they tell you? Make sure you bring what? Provisions. Because if not, you're going to die. Just for the record. You're going to find yourself on a camping trip. Right? And if you have an uh, analogy towards bee sting, you're going to go out there with no provisions, with no sticky pen, right? Whatever you call that, right? And you're going to get out there, get stung by a bee, and chances are you're going to die on a trail because you didn't make provisions. Likewise, if you and I continue to make provisions for our flesh, our flesh will remain alive. And here's the warning. Romans 1, 24. Therefore God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. 
God, by his grace and his mercy, you know what he would do to us? Go have it. Enjoy it. Not because he wants us to fail, but ultimately, you know what he wants us to do? Come to our senses to say, all right, are you done? Come home. You want it so bad. You want it more than me. Go have it. And it will destroy you and cause you to know how much you really need me. I mean, the grace of God is so wonderful because he's not going to make you and I make any of these decisions that I've suggested already. He's not going to force his hand. He's not going to manipulate you. He's not going to coerce you. But if your flesh is so hungry, if you continue to make provisions for your flesh, he's simply going to say, well, have at it. Have at it. Enjoy it and see where it takes you. But here's the challenge in the body of Christ. And theologically proper is some things you can't recover from. Some things you will never recover from on this side of heaven. And here's the dangerous part. We don't know which ones. That's the dangerous part, church. We don't know which ones we're going to not recover from. So, so the temptation and playing the game of, okay, is it going to burn me or not, right? Is it going to burn me? Is it not going to burn me? And we just keep playing with the fire. We don't know which one is going to catch fire. But one thing we do know, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you also shall reap. You sow in the flesh. It says you will reap destruction so inevitably you keep planting enough seeds in the flesh destruction is inevitable lust of the flesh is in all of us but we must set up safeguards in our lives to resist it at all times it is better to defer to being extra than not. It is better to be extra than not. How do we recognize temptation? Lust of the flesh. Secondly, lust of the eyes. Back again, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the, the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes. Again, lust is this strong desire, craving, longing for what is forbidden. So we have this craving for what is forbidden through our eyes. The word eyes means this, the eyes of the mind, affections of the mind. Let's go deeper. So you have Eve's temptation. It says in Genesis 3, 6, verse B, it says, and that it was pleasant to what? Her eyes. So that tree of the knowledge of good and evil that God said, don't touch, she wanted to touch it so bad, she wanted to have its fruit so bad because it was pleasing to her eyes. She saw it, and then she wanted it. And that's why you look at Jesus' temptation in Matthew 4, verses 8 through 10. His lust of the eye temptation is, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you fall down 
and worship me. Jesus said to him, go, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So think about this. So, so whatever reason, and, and I don't even know how to answer this, right? But for whatever reason, when you look on something and you want it so badly with your eyes, you will eventually bow down to worship it. So for whatever reason, because you, you fix your eyes on it for so long and your imagination probably begins to run away with you and you want it, long for it, it'll ultimately cause you and I to fall prostrate before it. You follow me? That, that's a challenge that we all face is that you want her guys long enough, bad enough, you know what you begin to do? Worship her. Ladies, you get so lonely, so needy for a man, you know what you're going to do? Worship him. I, so here's an indicator, guys, if we're worshiping her. A great indicator of if you're worshiping her or him is that if he or she doesn't give you what you think you need or what you want, it causes you to act different. It causes you to put down the cross of Christ it causes you to act unbecomingly of a follower of Jesus Christ. It begins to act you, act, cause you to act out of character, say things out of character, do things that you never thought you would be doing as a follower of Jesus Christ because you're so fixated on him, her, it. You see, that's why marketing is so powerful. They show you, they show you, they show you what you can have. They show you, they show you, they show you and convince you with your eyes that causes you to develop a mindset set on that thing that you want it so badly and you would do whatever you can to get it. Right, I gave the new car example. You know how it is when we get our new car? All of us choose to bow down to it for a season at least. How do I know? Don't eat in a car. Right? <laughs> you sit next to someone, they open a door at, at a shopping center and scrape your car door. What happens to you? Do you bless it and ask, praise the Lord? Or what do you say? Do you leave, do you leave dirty notes on a person's car? Door? I can't believe it. You, 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 you. And again, here's the ultimate form of worship when you get a new car. You part way away from everybody else. <laughs> right? It's like nobody's going to touch this, breathe on this car, right? I'm protecting it for all, from all the elements, right? Because this is my new fancy car. Listen, it could be a used car, but if it, is, if it has been something you've wanted and you've lust after it and you want it and it begins to trigger your mind, it automatically causes you to bow down to worship it. You get that favorite job. You, you're fasting and praying. You're at church every single day of the week. You had every prayer meeting, asking God to move in your life, right? And before you know it, you get that new fancy job. And then that employer says, hey, guess what? I need you to work every Sunday. And you say, oh, since God blessed me with this new job, you know what I got to do? I got to definitely commit, to, you know, and work diligently for them. So I'm going to commit every Sunday that job has become your God. 
Oh, God, you know, my finances is just in disarray. But, God, I know it was my fault, but if you deliver me this time. And get me out of financial bondage. And, right, and there we go again. All of our actions, the way we respond to an increase of income shows how much we're worshiping it. Ladies, you get that new house. <laughs> you start decorating it the way you want, the way you dream it, the way it looks in a magazine. Don't get new carpet, new floors. Then nobody can sit on the furniture or walk on the carpet. That's a form of idolatry. What? No one can sit in that room. That's the showroom. <laughs> Right? I've been in a few houses. That's a showroom. You don't, you don't sit there. Kids don't go in there. It's a form of worship. What we see with our eyes are dangerous, and that's why we have to learn that true riches really can't be seen with our natural eyes. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches, listen to what it says, of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You know, the inheritance of God, man, it, it's heavenly things. It's not of this world. It's not of this world. Yeah, sometimes he, he just allows some of it to be sprinkled here on, on earth, Right? But the things of God is out of this world. It's, it's beyond this world. It's far above what we can put in our bank account and drive, you know, down the road. He says, this is what should be what we seek and truly go after. But here's a caution, because there's also this caution when we follow false prophets. And the warning we find in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 through 14, but I'm going to read verses 1 through 3. It says this, Who was secretly introduced destructive heresies, even denying the master, capital M, who is God, who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be maligned. And in their greed, you hear that? In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. You see, folks, church, it's very important to understand. The more, the more you look on it, the more you lust after with your eyes, any one of us can be tricked. Remember the scripture says, even the very elect can be deceived. So our challenge is to always understand, man, if you're looking on something too long other than you're looking on Jesus, be cautious, you're going to eventually bow down to worship it. If you're wanting something so bad that you see and you're longing after it and you're pursuing it and you're making it your life effort, at the end of the day, one day you will find yourself bowing down to it, to her, to him or it. How do we recognize the temptations that we all will face? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eye. And finally, you find in verse 16, 1 John chapter 2. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life is our third way 
that we can recognize temptation. The, word, the words boastful combined means this, empty assurance which trusts in its own power and resources. Empty assurance which trusts in its own power and resources. Trust in the stability, listen to what it says, trust in the stability of earthly things. Not on things above, not where Christ is, but earthly things. Boast about the one, uh, what one is or does not possess. So if you have someone just boasting about certain things that they say they have, but they really don't have, right? Showing off the, uh, showing off to uh, fellow mortals. In other words, we, we show off what we have, what we wear, what we drive, etc., etc. It also means the luxuries of life for the purpose of showing off, the act of pretending what one is not. Think about that for a minute. Do you realize you're not a homeowner? You're not. Guess who owns it? Do you realize that you're not an independent businessman or woman? You're not. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he owns your business. Do you, do you realize that you and I are not successful apart from Christ? You, get, you, you follow what I'm trying to lead you to. The challenge we face is that we must get to a point that we realize, no, absolutely not. I cannot boast of anything because I will be pretending that I'm something that I'm really not. I'm not smart, even though I have intellect. I'm not wise even though I've been, I've been delegated wisdom. I don't have power, even though that has also been smallly assigned to me. I don't have any authority, even though what? God limits and delegates authority to me. If, if I think I am, we think we are, we are what? Pretenders. That's all we are, pretenders. The word life means this, boastful pride of life. It means life is the resource, the wealth, and goods that by which life is sustained. So again, you look at those two words combined is that we're pretending, you know, and, and both being very boastful, Christian or not, ministry or not, in ministry or outside ministry, whatever phase or facet of life, if we're boasting about this thing, think about it, it says, wait a minute, I'm boasting about resources, wealth, goods, that by which life is sustained. Do you realize the only way that we can breathe is because he's, pump, he's pumping oxygen in us. Do, do you realize that the only reason why we have wealth is because the earth is the Lord's and, and the fullness thereof and everything that it contains. It's because he is the one sustaining. He is the one who's holding together this earth by the word of his power. The cosmos is being held together by God. So he's the one who's sustaining everything that we find ourselves finding pleasure and resources and goods and wealth in. Pride of life is, it's me. It's mine. And it simply says, God, you have no say in this at all. Eve's temptation by Satan, you find again in Genesis 3, 6c, it says, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She wanted that fruit so bad because she needed to know. 
Isn't that strange, ladies? That's still, <laughs> that's still the problem. <laughs> right? And you know what else is still the problem, guys? Here it is. She took of the fruit thereof, did eat, and gave it also to her husband. I like the King James Version. It says, who was standing there. Still happening today. We're still saying, this is my imagination. We're still saying, you know what? You know God told you not to eat that fruit, Eve. Matter of fact, God told me to tell you, and I told you what God told me to tell you. <laughs> and then I can just imagine Eve saying, but, but why? What, 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 do you, what do you mean God said that? Well, he didn't tell me. Well, tell me why. <laughs> you know, today we can say, show me the Bible. Show, show me the chapter and verse. You know, Eve back there, she probably said, well, 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 I didn't hear the voice of God. <laughs> that wasn't in the last walk that we had to cool to the garden. I can just hear the conversation, right? And then I can also hear, imagine uh, Adam checking out saying, you know what? You just do whatever you want to do. It's between you and God. <laughs> and then God came down and ultimately said, what? Adam, where are you? So at the end of the day, at the end of the day, she took the fruit, but Adam was standing there participating himself. And, and, and you see that there's still that undercurrent that guess what? Adam wanted to be wise too. And if God's our highness, we do. We may not verbalize it as much, but we want to know. We need to know. Because we prove that by how, trust, how we trust others. We're not going to trust you until we really understand. Until we really figure you out, then I go all in. What do you think that is too, guys? It's the same spirit that I need to know before I fully commit. Satan said it this way. And Isaiah 14, 14. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. That's really what we're saying. You know what I got to know? I have to know. I have to know. I got to know. I got to know everything. I'm really a control freak. And I need to be in control of life. And I'm trying to be God. And this is why and what we have to be cautious of. You see, when we come to this boasting, James 4 verse 16 says this, but as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So if we say in our hearts, these are my resources, this is my wealth, these are my goods, that sustains my life. When we are able to say, hey, uh, I'm pretending who I really ain't and not, right? I'm really pretending like I'm in control. I'm really pretending that I'm God. I'm really pretending as though this is my life. I'm really pretending that this is my property. I'm really pretending that this is my wealth. This is my power, my knowledge, my wisdom. We ultimately are becoming men and women who are boastful and arrogant. And it says all such boasting is evil. It's not God. 
This is why we can't, as 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, we can't be entangled with this stuff in the world. That's why we got to pay high attention to say, you know what, I got to watch what I see, what I hear, what I do. Because I can easily get wrapped up in all this noise thinking I'm someone that I'm not. And pride comes before the fall. 2 Timothy 2.4 says, no, says this, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life. You just can't get caught up in it. If it looks like a rat, it smells like a rat, it is a rat. And listen, church, if it looks like the world, and it's not about how it appears, right? But if it looks like the world, obviously looks like the world, and you and I are continuing to say, well, I'm going to make provisions for my flesh because, hey, I'm not going to hell. It's not going to send me to hell. Oh, you know, but it looks like the world. It is like very quite obvious that we shouldn't be a part of it if you want to be a good soldier. So you have to come to a place in your life, in your walk with Christ, if you want to avoid temptation before you're tempted, others may, but I may not. Hey, bro, sis, I love you. Pray for you. Ah, but I'm not going there. Because I know who I am and what I'm capable of. And I will not make any provisions for my flesh if I want to be a good soldier of Jesus. Right? We know it's not about works and all this stuff. But at the end of the day, there's some things that we need to make sure that we're working out in our salvation. With fear and trembling. So the pride of life is something, church, that we must always resist because we can find ourselves there before we blink, any one of us. Let me close with this. So as a kid, I grew up in Southern California in Compton, some of you know, and I, I, I lived in theme park heaven. I mean, you had all kinds of theme parks there, Knoxbury Farm, uh, what was it, SeaWorld, Magic Mountain, it was called Magic Mountain then, Six Flags, and then of course Disney World. So Disney World of course was my favorite like most people, and we frequent uh, the amusement parks like it was a local park in the community because at that time, date myself, it was like really cheap to take a large family. You know, all you did, what we did was just pack all our fried chicken and our, you know, potato salad and some bread and, and some other nasty stuff we put on crackers back then, you know, and, and we just piled it all in. That stuff you could put on crackers that no matter what the temperature is, it, it's still okay. <laughs> and we just piled it, we just piled it in the car and we, we, we would, listen, here's the funny thing. So we would go to the amusement park and we would park a certain place and we'd say, okay, listen, lunchtime, everybody meets back at the car. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And you just break out, you just break out the food and, and you hope that the potato salad is still good, right? But, but so we had this wonderful childhood experience and one of the things for sure is that you always had this, this competition and you always had this peer pressure 
and this temptation to always ride the most difficult and the most dangerous and scary rides. Right? And then, not to mention, you get on a ride and you, you're brave enough to hold up one hand, right? The next time you go, you hold up both hands, right? And, you know, and you just, you just push the envelope, push the envelope, push the envelope over and over and over again. But here's the interesting thing about it. I, I, was, I, I was pondering this. I never forget waiting in the line. My mind is just swirling. My heart is racing, right? And it's like, okay, especially when it's your first time on the ride, it's like, uh, uh, should I go? Should I go? Uh, and everybody's, of course, you know, egging each other. Oh, you're afraid. You're scared. Oh, you're going to fall out. You know, all those different things just to make you scared, even more scared. But one thing is for sure in all the rides, uh, there was this point right when you begin to see everybody get in the ride, right? And you see, okay, this stuff is real. I have to get in it or, or be gone. There's a place that we began to coin the chicken exit. It was like the last door that can lead you out. If not, you are going on this ride if you like it or not. So when we got to that door, we always say, hey, there's a chicken exit. There's a chicken exit. There's a chicken exit. There's a chicken exit. But here's the deal, church. On the rides of life, every single time, every single moment that you're tempted, you know what God provides you? A chicken exit. And you can't forget it. And it's okay. There's going to be the peer pressure. There's going to be pressure you put on yourself to conform, to be like others, to go through with it. Because everybody is doing it or he's caressing you or he's convincing you and he's, he's whispering all those words in your ears and you want to go there. There's always a chicken exit. God always gives the chicken exit. My challenge to you today, to me today, reminder to all of us today, is no matter what pressure others give you, place upon you, no matter what pressure you have to conform to this world, always remember, God has provided you room for escape. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have provided that chicken exit for us. Let that be a continued reminder for us all that, God, we can get to the end of the line, if you would, right when it's time to get on the ride. God, help us to see your exit, your exit plan, your room for escape. But there may be somebody today who is here and who are watching online that you may be saying to us, or to yourself at least, that I get all of this, but I just need help with life in general. Well, I say to you that your first exit, your room for escape is the finished work of Jesus Christ. In other words, he wants to save you he wants to set you free. But all you need to do is surrender your life to him today. All you need to do is acknowledge that you have chosen to live your life apart from him. 
that you've chosen to live a life that is sin against him. If you can't just pause right now to acknowledge this, that God, I have sinned against you. But then the second step is to acknowledge that Jesus Christ came to die for you. He was buried for you. He rose again from the grave for you. Can you acknowledge that, that he did this for you? I acknowledge this, Jesus. Can you ask him right now to wash you clean by his blood? All of your sins, past, present, future, wash you clean. The next step is just ask him to come into your heart, your life, to rule, to reign forever through the power of his Holy Spirit who lives within you. Just say, Jesus, take full control through your Holy Spirit who now lives within me. I surrender to you for the rest of my life until I see you face to face. But then there's those of us who've already prayed a similar prayer, but for whatever reason, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life still has its grip on you. Is there one of these areas or maybe all areas of what we've learned today, do they have you? If they do, or if it does, can you acknowledge that before God? Just say, Lord, I, I recognize today that mm, there's still this lust in my flesh that I need to surrender to you. And it comes in the form of, fill it in the blank. Today I give you the lust of my flesh. Just give it to him right now. And Lord, I, I recognize that I have still a stronghold of lust of my eyes. Right now, God, I give you my eyes. And as the scripture says, I will have eyes only for you. And then lastly, if some way, somehow that you have begin to think that you are the provider for yourself that you're in control of things and that you're the owner of even your very life can you acknowledge this and just ask the Lord to forgive you and give your life your possessions your past, your present, your future, give it to him as the rightful owner. Thank you, Jesus. Can we stand to our feet, please? If you're home, if you're wherever, that you can lift your hands with me, that'd be great. God, we lift our hands to you as a sign of submission. Just as a child, lifts his or her hands up to their parent wanting to be close to them. 
today we lift our hands up in submission, realizing that we need you. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh upon your people, wherever they are today. Empower us to live a life that is holy and acceptable and pleasing unto you. Help us to be the salt, the light, the sweet smell and aroma that brings you pleasure. Anoint us, O oh God. Empower us, O oh God. Remind us, O oh God, to never be given to the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, or the pride of life, so that we may go into the highways and the byways with great impact, compelling people to come in of all nations, tribes, and tongues to be a part of your church, to fill your church to capacity. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, we all said, Amen. Can we give him a hand clap? Thank you. Thank you again for listening to Pastor Cedric of Commitment Church. If you would like to learn more about Jesus Christ, please visit our website, www.commitmentchurch.org. This website will walk you through having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if you have made a decision to follow Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, or if you would like to support God's Word through this ministry by visiting www.commitmentchurch.org. You can also visit loveallnations.org for more information and to receive encouraging videos. Lastly, if you or your family reside in the South Jersey area, please visit us at 2 Berlin Road South, Lindenwald, New Jersey, 08021. May God bless you and have a wonderful day.